Hey there, Pastor Mark Jordan here from Hope Church. Thank you for stopping by and welcome to our online ministry. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can stay up to date on all the content that's released. And while you're online, visit us at our webpage at placeofhope.org. Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for Him. And we hope that this message today is helpful and inspiring for you as you continue to take your next step on your faith journey. Once again, thanks for visiting us and make sure to check us out at placeofhope.org. Isn't it a great day to be in God's house? I tell you what, I tell you what. So uh, I, I saw on uh, online that uh, for some reason, the video did not play through the live stream. So if you're joining us in the live stream and you were only able to pick up a little bit about what happened, uh, the church is debt free. So, <laughs> praise God. Started at 38000 last week. By Wednesday night, it was done. And, uh, and it is paid off. The last payment went out Friday. So, it is done. Uh, so thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, and I tell you what, I've been uh, dealing with uh, trembles and tears and you know, goosebumps, all that other stuff, you know, for days now. And I just am so glad to be here and so glad that you are here as well. Last week, we kicked off our new message series entitled Upside Down, Living in the Upside Down Kingdom of God. And the, uh, the premise that we brought to this is that our world is sick and in need of hope and help and healing, right? And so one of the things that happens in these times is we have a worldview by which we see the world and we understand the things that are happening and going on around us. And what I want to do as your pastor and as your friend and co-laborer and sojourner in the faith is to make sure that the worldview that we are developing is a biblical worldview, a Christian worldview, not just a political worldview or a, a current events type of thing. I want us to look at the world through the lens of faith and of hope and of love. And so we're going to be taking over these next several weeks a very intentional journey through the Beatitudes of Jesus, which is how he began his Sermon on the Mount. And this comes on the heels. I was really struck as I was going back through it this morning. I was really struck about how the biblical narrative shows Jesus just prior to the Sermon on the Mount being tempted out in the desert by the devil. All kinds of temptation and all kinds of evil and eeriness that he had to fight through, he had to face, he had to confront, and he had to overwhelm it. How did he do it? How did he overwhelm? How did he overcome that? With that godly worldview. Satan was trying to tempt Jesus into inverting his own purpose, his own presence, his own power to make it more about himself than God in the world in which he was living. And that's how we began last week, was taking a look at the very first beatitude where Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And we talked about how so frequently and easily we ourselves try to make life in the world about ourselves. So you see on the screen, we have a, a recap of last week's message. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, or theirs is the kingdom of God. Translations say it differently. But the meaning of that is that we are spiritually bankrupt without Jesus. And what that means is that when we try to put ourselves at the heart, at the center, and the soul of everything going on around us, we ourselves are incapable 
of having that hope and that help that we need from Jesus. And then when we really truly go to look at living like Christ wants us to live according to the will and the way and the word of God, we learn these things that you'll see on that next line down, is that you are accepted even when you feel unacceptable, right? You are loved unconditionally because you are forgiven by God to live and have a relationship with God for the sake of showing the world that there is a better way and that you were valued. You were valued because God made you, God saved you, God redeemed you and is restoring you for ministry in his world and in his kingdom. And that's how we get into our text for today, which comes from Matthew chapter five, verse four, which is our next beatitude, is that blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Timing is always one of those things that strikes me because this little window of time in which I am personally living brings me to this beatitude in such a potent way. When I was putting this series together and getting it ready to deliver, I didn't realize that this would be the Sunday between on Friday, which is the 21st anniversary when my dad went to go be with Jesus. And on Tuesday is the next anniversary when Mia passed away and went to go be with Jesus. And so I am easily consumed with grief and mourning right now, even though I'm not as broken or shattered as I had been. But those things that keep pricking at my heart that help me to realize I am alive, but I need help. So I'm wearing my, this current edition of the, of the Mia shirt and I'm wearing my Mia Wonder Woman socks. She always wore different socks. I'm wearing those together today uh, to remember her because things like this remembering uh, help to bring me comfort. Not so much that she's gone, but that she lived and she lives still because of the love of God in Jesus Christ. And even in our own brokenness, right? We feel like we are shattered, we're destroyed, we're obliterated. We still live, it's different, but we need these reminders that help us to know that even in that pain, even in the mourning, even in the grief, we are still alive. And if we are still alive, we have a responsibility for how we are to use our life. It's strange, but it's a worldview that we need when we are broken, when we are obliterated, as I would like to say. We need to remember that we still have a reason to live. And we're going to dig into that more deeply today. As I will be doing through most of these messages, I also want us to look at the message version, which is a paraphrase. It's not a translation of the Bible, but it's a version, a paraphrase. I want to look at the message version of this beatitude because it begins to give us a little bit of a unique insight into how this could intersect with our lives as we recognize our lives are intersecting with other lives all the time. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, which is from the message, it says, You are blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. So now all of a sudden, this begins to take on a little bit of a different flavor or flair or context, doesn't it? You're blessed when you feel like you've lost 
that which is most dear to you. Now, is that something that causes us to feel blessed when we've lost that which is most dear to you? Absolutely not. In our mourning and in our grief, we can feel as though we've lost everything and that God's love and God's grace and God's presence and God's power isn't real. And I went through that after we lost our Mia. I quit the ministry for like 10 days. It felt like forever, but I remember telling the pastor with whom I worked and the superintendent that oversaw the ministry that I did, I quit, I'm not coming back, I'm done. I'm gonna move, move to the beach and I'm gonna sell t-shirts or host at a restaurant, but I'm done. I'm done, I can't live into this anymore. There was a part of me that no longer believed what it was that I had staked my entire life on. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there? You know what the difference was? Was to see the way God's people showed up and refused to let me go. It was the hand of God in the hands of many individual people that showed up and refused to let me go. Mourning, grief, suffering helps us remember that we are alive and we need to keep living. And so even though it seems so contradictory to those who want to live a life of faith, we need to understand what grief is all about and the role and the purpose that grief and mourning can play in our lives. And so anyone who's a fan of the old Charlie Brown cartoons, right, by George Schultz, knows that one of Charlie Brown's favorite exclamations was, good grief, right? That's how I feel about grief, good grief. To fast forward into the Seinfeldisms, you know, serenity now, serenity now. So we're gonna look really quickly at good grief. Next on the screen, we see that grief to be good means that we are to be comforted. That's what Jesus said in that beatitude. That statement of utmost bliss is that bliss comes when you allow yourself to be comforted. When you allow yourself to be comforted. That means we have to surrender our ego, surrender our personal space, surrender ourselves, so that other people who God is deploying to enter into our life, to intersect with us, even in the midst of our deepest and darkest, most broken time, that they can perform the ministry that God has asked them to perform. And this ends up coming back so that we can use our lives to help comfort others. All of this is part of God's plan. Now, the other thing that good grief does is you'll see that it helps us clarify purpose. It's, uh, it really is uh, a winnowing out type situation where you realize what really truly is most important. And I'm gonna say this just really briefly, really quickly and move on is I remember that when, uh, when I unquit from the ministry and no one ever took me seriously, they knew I was, I was lashing out in grief. But what I did do was when I came back, I said, I'm gonna come back, but I'm going to be different. I'm going to do things differently because I feel that my purpose is clarified. I feel that I know more about how God wants me to live and to lead in his world. And it created within me a sense of urgency for eternity that I never knew existed. 
I yearn and long for eternity in heaven, and I yearn and long for the people with whom I do life to be there with me when all of our times come. It's given me an urgency that I never experienced before. Even with some of the grief I'd experienced previously, it, I still saw the world and Christianity more like a philosophy. Do good unto others, love, right? But that urgency and hearing Jesus say, I am going to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you may be also. That was like a switch that got flipped in my life. And it has helped to shape me who I am today. I wish that I could have gotten to this point without having to go through some of those awful things. But all of this is part of God's purpose to help us get ourselves out of the center and to turn our life over to him. So it's about clarifying purpose. I want to give three quick basic ideas about grief before we move into the next piece of our message. Uh, the first idea about grief is that it is love unfinished. One of the things that causes us to hurt so much is that we have so much love in our lives that we were ready and expecting and intending to be able to give. And now that love really doesn't have a place to go. It is love unfinished. Now, does that mean that that love doesn't have a place to go? No, it just means that where it goes may be a little different. It may look a little different, but that love has to go somewhere. Otherwise, we miss out on our ability and our responsibility to be that conduit for God's grace. God wants to use your life to help surge love and grace and mercy and forgiveness back out into the world. And so when we think about grief being love unfinished, it helps us to flip it over and say, what is it that I need to do so that I can continue to allow that love to surge through my life? The second point is grief helps us focus on faith and hope, right? First Corinthians 13, 13 says, faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love, right? So love being unfinished, love's got to keep going, but I want us to do so in the context of faith and hope. So faith, meaning that we believe in what God said and how Jesus said that those things are real, right? I believe it even when I don't understand it, even when I don't like it, even when I disapprove but I believe it and I'm putting my faith and my trust there. And so hope then becomes the energy by which we live into the rest of our time here on earth with that hope that even though we have to accept things that we cannot understand, we do not like or do not approve of, that we are going to continue to live in hope that God's way wins in the end. And so it helps us focus on that faith that we are in God's hand and that hope that we are in God's will, even when we may not feel comforted by it. And then the last point is that grief is a powerful vehicle to display God's glory. The Holy Spirit shows up in times like that. It may be through a chicken casserole and there's no organization in the world that can care through chicken casserole like a church, right? I remember we were inundated with food and we had church members that lived two or three doors down from us at the house in Cartersville. And they would come by every couple of days and check on us. And uh, they noticed that we had people from all over the country and, you know, family in. And uh, they, they went to Costco or as my nephew calls it, Costico. They went to Costico and got a big old box of trash bags, right? That's not something I like to spend money on. I don't like to spend money on trash to accumulate trash. 
And when I couldn't even think about putting one foot in front of the other, they came with this gigantic box of trash bags. And they displayed the love of God. So much so that when we moved into our house here in Dallas and we finally went through that last trash bag, it was a reminder of how that family showed up and showed out or God showed up and showed out through that family. And I remember Tiffany and she took that last trash bag out of the box and she flipped it like she does. She goes, this was the last trash bag that was given to us when Mia died. Even then in a different county, in a different house, a year later, it still brought us that comfort. So we had these three ideas on grief, love unfinished, enabling us to find that hope and that love and that faith and that hope and that powerful vehicle to display God's glory. And so now we got to come back to our main text from today, Matthew chapter five, verse four. And think, okay, so what does this have to do with the Beatitudes? How Jesus is starting his ministry? Well, I'm glad you asked because there are two basic ways to consider this Beatitude. Two basic ways to consider this Beatitude. And they really work hand in glove with each other. The first is, and this is most likely what Jesus meant when he issued this beatitude, is that he needs us to grieve our sin. Jesus wants us to grieve our sin. He wants you to grieve the things in your life that you've done or haven't done, said or haven't said, because those things are what provide the brokenness in our lives and in our relationships with self, with others, and with God. He wants us to grieve those things. Let's look at what the Apostle Paul had to write, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 9 through 11. He said, you let the distress bring you to God, right? Let the distress you experience in your life bring you to God, not to drive you from him. Press pause real quickly. How many times have we experienced a distress like the loss of a loved one, I said, that's it, I'm done. I'm moving to the beach. I'm never shaving again. And all I'm gonna do is sell t-shirts, right? We allow those things to bring that brokenness up to the surface. But if we allow those things to bring us closer to God, through God's people, people who are being the conduits of grace and mercy, it can bring us closer to him. So I'm gonna press play on this passage. Now the result was all gain. No loss, even under distress. Distress that drives us to God does that. It turns us around. It gets us back in the way of salvation. We never regret that kind of pain. But those who let distress drive them away from God are full of regrets, end up on a deathbed of regrets. And now, isn't it wonderful? All the ways in which the distress has goaded you closer to God, you're more alive, more concerned, more sensitive, more reverent, more human more passionate, more responsible. Looked at from any angle, you've come out of this with purity of heart. That's given me those Holy Spirit goosebumps. When I think about the brokenness that I've experienced and endured in my life, when given to God, it becomes like a magnet that draws us closer to him. And so we think about our brokenness. We think about the causes of it. And I've got to ask you, are you allowing it to draw you or drive you closer to the presence of God? To be comforted? To not just turn away and turn around? 
but to come to God and say, here I am, broken as I may be. Use me, give me those things that make me more sensitive, more compassionate, more excited, more pure, so that I may live for you. Jesus wants us to grieve those things in our life that we have done, committed, or whatever, to reveal the brokenness that we have in our lives, to cause us and drive us closer to the presence and the power of God so that there we may experience the comfort, we may experience the forgiveness, we may experience the grace, we may experience the mercy, we may experience God. Which brings us to our second point. The second way to consider this beatitude is it is to move us beyond brokenness, not just to stay there in that brokenness. Soren Kierkegaard, great quote, God allows brokenness so that we can see where we end and where he begins, right? To fight that tendency to put us at the middle of it all, at the center of the universe and say, dear God, please revolve around me. It's to move us out of that to allow that brokenness and that burden to become our burden for how we are now to live in God's presence and God's power. Revelation 21 verses three through five. This is where John the Revelator is giving us the vision of how the end of the world comes. And this is what we see. John wrote, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy. And true. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And this is where we see the exclamation point of eternity being revealed for you and me that there will come a time when the hands that carved out the oceans and formed the mountains, the hands that took the nails on Calvary, will be the very same hands that will come and wipe the tears from your eyes. And to remind you that all things will be made new. Other places in scripture remind us that God collects all of our tears in a bottle so that not a single one falls in vain. And there will be a time when we are united with God and reunited with our loved ones who preceded us, where God will sit down with us and go over the experiences that caused the tears that he collected in that bottle and help us find the perspective that we cannot see or experience right now. So when we consider this beatitude, the focus is on eternity. Experience the brokenness, feel it, live it, right? Don't wall it off, don't hold it back. Know where you were broken, know where you were mourning, know where you experienced grief. Turn it over to God and trust God to point you toward that time in eternity where you will be united with him in glory, reunited with your loved ones, and given the perspective of all the things that broke your heart 
and broke your life. And you'll be able to see how God was with you and clarifying your purpose every step of the way. So what's our so what, right? What's our so what? It comes down to two words. Share grief. Share grief. Or shared grief, as it were. There's a Honduran proverb that perhaps you've heard. It said, grief shared is half grief. Joy shared is double joy. Are you familiar with that? Grief shared is half grief. Joy shared is double joy. God is deploying people into your life through things as simple as casseroles and trash bags to help you have your grief. And in the process, reminding you that God is there to bring you joy, even when it is through the tears, to double that joy. Throughout the New Testament, we see these instructions that talk about how the church is supposed to live and embody these times. That when one member is grieving, we all are called to be deployed to help have that grief. And when another member celebrates, we are all called to stand up and celebrate and rejoice in the celebration. And how can we simultaneously be grieving and be celebrating only by the power of the Holy Spirit, which works within every single one of us, which helps us to get into the eyeballs and the personal space of somebody and say, I know you are broken, but there is hope for this. And maybe, just maybe, you have chapters in your story that God wants to use to remind them that it is a holy commandment for us, even in our brokenness, to allow our lives to be comforted. Folks, that's a holy commandment. Don't wall yourself off. Don't isolate. Allow yourself to be comforted. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all what? Comfort. Who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. What Paul wrote there in that 2 Corinthians 1 passage is that when we experience an affliction, God is there. Jesus described the Holy Spirit as the great comforter, the wonderful counselor. The Spirit comes to comfort us and to help us to know that we are not alone. And simultaneously, the Spirit is working within the nudges of other people. Remember that word, right? You get a nudge, you get an urge to do something. He is working within the nudges to deploy people to help bring that comfort that they need to experience. And there are things happening in your life, experiences that you've gone through that no one else can provide the perspective that you can about how God shows up and wants us to show up and show out for others too. And so we are in this and on this journey together where we are constantly receiving the presence of God and God is moving us to be in the presence of somebody else so that they do not feel that there is no comfort 
no faith, no hope, no love, no purpose, even in the midst of the tragedies that we experience in life. So three takeaways that I want us to consider as we bring this message to a close. What sin do you grieve? What is it that keeps you up at night? What is it that you feel in your spirit, in your soul, that when you look at somebody or you're afraid to see somebody out and about in the world, right? That you're like, oh, I wish I had not done that. I had not said that. What do you grieve that has presented brokenness in your world and in the world of someone else? Turn that over to God. Because God wants to move you beyond your brokenness. God wants you to be able to go and sit in someone's presence and say, I don't know exactly what you're going through, but I have walked a road very, very similar. And I can tell you that it may hurt like hell right now, but there is hope on the other side of it. And so in so doing, you can and you will glorify God. When you allow yourself to be a conduit of his love and grace and mercy, when you help bring someone who feels that their life has been absolutely shattered back into that presence to know that there is hope beyond the brokenness. And so when you look at these three things, the sin that we have in our lives that we grieve, how God wants to move us from that point of brokenness into hope and wholeness. When we reach that point, our lives glorify God. I hope you can believe that. And that God wants to use you in his ongoing ministry of providing comfort through the adversity to help someone know that the worst thing they go through and every the last thing they go through. That Jesus made us a promise that in him, he's preparing a place for us so that where he is, we may be there also. But part of what we have to do right now while we are still living, is we have to hear the call of those who are crying, who are broken, who are obliterated. Cook up a chicken casserole. Buy a box of trash bags. Send a card. And say, I'm not going to leave you alone. And out of experience, I know that you would rather just run away, but I'm going to stay with you to help keep you grounded and help you regain that clarity of purpose. In Ecclesiastes, we see that there's a time for everything, right? He says there's a time for mourning. There's also a time for dancing. Blessed are those who mourn because they will be comforted. That becomes a biblical mandate. So those who are in the dancing phase of life, we've got work to do. We've got to find those who are experiencing adversity and say, I'm not going to let you go. I'm not going to let you down. The brokenness will be used by God to perform miracles in your future. So let's be miracle workers today. Whether we're mourning 
or dancing, needing comfort or needing to provide comfort. May it all be done in the will of God. Amen. As the band comes forward, I want to close us in prayer and, and ask you to just reflect upon our three takeaways for this morning. If you are finding and experiencing brokenness, sin that you're grieving, if your God is trying to move you beyond that brokenness, or if you are being used and deployed to help bring about glory and God's presence into someone who isn't experiencing it right now, I pray that we may hear and heed that call. So let's pray together, okay? Almighty God, thank you for today. Thank you for reminding us that there is a biblical mandate surrounding comfort. That if we are broken or separated, that we are told to receive that comfort that you want to give us. Or if we're on the other side and we're in a dancing phase of life right now, that we are also called to bring comfort to those who are hurting, who are broken. And so, Lord God, as we deal with life and the brokenness and find that temptation and that tendency to just run away, to hide, to think that you aren't real or the hope that we have was false hope, help us to see, Lord God, that there is a purpose that you want to clarify in our lives and the awfulness and the brokenness of this world that leads to the mourning and the grief that we experience. We, Lord, can rise above it when we find our comfort in you and seek to help others find that comfort as well. So help us to get out of the middle of it all and to be led where you want to lead us to experience that nudge and that urge to help others know that there is still faith and hope and love. Though in some places it may be unfinished, there is a way that you're seeking us to help someone else find the hope that they need to emerge from the brokenness they experience right now. And if that's us, Lord, help us to feel your comfort. I ask this in the name of Jesus and your Holy Spirit as you comfort us together. Amen and amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We are glad that you stopped by. Again, we want to encourage you to visit us online at placeofhope.org. If you're in the Paulding County area there, you can get service times, directions, and information about all of our awesome activities for children, for students, and for adults. Again, Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for him, and we hope to provide you the heart fuel you need to follow Jesus. Thanks again.